This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Okay, here's a big thought about our botanical-style aquariums. The aquarium, or more specifically, the botanical materials which comprise the botanical-style aquarium infrastructure, acts as a biological filter system. In other words, the botanical materials present in our systems provide enormous surface area upon which you know, beneficial bacterial biofilms and fungal growths can colonize. These life forms utilize the organic compounds present in the water as a nutritional source. This is something we've heard about before, right? Oh, well, the part about biofilms and fungal growths, it, it completely sounds familiar. Yes, that's what you're saying, I know. But let's talk about our buddies, the biofilms, just a bit more, one more time. Because nothing seems as contrary to many hobbyists than to sing the praises of these gooey-looking strands of bacterial goodness. Biofilms are surprisingly strong structures which offer their colonial members, which is what it is, a colony of bacteria, which offer their colonial members sort of an onboard nutritional sources, exchange of metabolites, protection, and cellular communication. They form extremely rapidly on just about any hard surface that's submerged in water. When I see aquarium work and articles and stuff in which biofilms are considered a nuisance and can be eliminated by quote, reducing nutrients in the aquarium, I usually cringe. Mainly because no matter what you do, they're always present in, they're ubiquitous. They're always present in our aquariums. We may not see, you know, the, the famous long stringy snot, but the reality is that they're present in our tanks regardless. The other reality is that biofilms are something that we as aquarists typically fear because of the way they look. In and of themselves, biofilms are not harmful to our fishes. I've said it a million times and I'll say it again. They function not only as a means to sequester and process nutrients, a filter of sorts, I guess. They also represent a beneficial food source for fishes. Now look, I can see rare scenarios where massive amounts of biofilms relative to the you know water volume of the aquarium can consume significant quantities of oxygen and be problematic for the fishes which reside in your tank. Now, these explosions in biofilm growth are usually the result of adding just too much botanical material too quickly to the aquarium, and they're exacerbated often by insufficient oxygenation or circulation within the aquarium. Now, these are very unusual circumstances, resulting from a combination of missteps by the aquarist. Typically, however, biofilms are far more beneficial than they are even remotely detrimental to our aquariums. Nutrients in the water column, even when in very low concentrations, are delivered to the biofilm through a complex system of water channels where they are absorbed, adsorbed, not absorbed, but adsorbed, into the biofilm matrix where they become available to the individual cells. Now, some biologists feel that this is a, this is a real efficient method of gathering energy, and it might just be a major evolutionary advantage for biofilms, which live in particularly turbine ecosystems like fast-moving streams or aquariums for that matter where there's a lot of flow, where nutrient concentrations are typically lower and quite widely dispersed. It makes sense, right? And biofilms have been used successfully in water and wastewater treatment for well over 100 years. 
In these types of filtration systems, the medium, which is typically sand, offers this huge amount of surface area for the microbes to attach to and to feed upon the organic material in the water being treated. The formation of biofilms upon the media consume the undesirable organics in the water, effectively filtering it. So hold that thought for a bit. Biofilm acts as an adsorbent layer in which organic materials and other nutrients are concentrated from the water column. As you might suspect, higher nutrient concentrations tend to produce biofilms that are thicker and denser than those grown in lower nutrient concentrations. Those biofilms which grow in higher flow environments like streams, rivers, or areas exposed to wave action tend to be denser in their morphology, but they also tend to be, you know, form these long stringy filaments or streamers which point in the direction of the flow. We've seen that in our aquariums, right? These biofilms are characterized by uh, something known as viscoelasticity. This means that they're flexible. Okay, think about that. They're flexible, obviously, and they stretch out significantly in higher flow rate environments, and they contract once again when the velocity of the flow is reduced. And that makes sense, right? It's probably way more than you want to know about the physiology of biofilms for the millionth time we've talked about them, right? Regardless, it's important for us as botanical-style aquarists to have at least a rudimentary understanding of these often misunderstood, incredibly useful, and entirely underappreciated life forms. And the whole idea of facilitating a microbiome in our aquarium, which we pounded into your head for years, I know, is predicated upon supplying a quantity of botanical materials, specifically, or at least more often than not, leaf litter, for the beneficial organisms to colonize and to begin the decomposition process. Now, if you're wondering about this stuff, it's been studied by science a lot. Uh, an interesting study that I found by an author named Meering and some others in 2014 on the nutrient sequestration caused by leaf litter yield this, this little interesting passage I want to read to you. It says, During leaf litter decomposition, microbial biomass and accumulated inorganic materials immobilize and retain nutrients, and therefore both biotic and abiotic drivers may influence detrital nutrient content. There's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? But the study determined that leaves, like oak leaves, for example, when they're submerged in water, immobilized nitrogen. Generally thinking, it's thought that leaf litter acts as a sort of a sink for nutrients over time in aquatic ecosystems. That's really interesting. Oh, and one more thing about the leaves and the resulting detritus in tropical streams. Ecologists strongly believe that microbial colonized detritus is more palatable and a more nutritious food source for detritivores than uncolonized just dead leaves. Apparently the microbial growth which occurs on the leaves and the resulting detritus increases the nutritional quality of leaf detritus because that microbial biomass is more digestible than the actual leaves themselves which have lignin and so forth. So it helps make them more digestible. That's really interesting. Okay great again I've talked about decomposing leaves and stuff for like the 11,000th time here in the tin. So where does this leave us in terms of how we want to run our aquariums? Well, let's just summarize a few basic points. Number one, when you start an aquarium, add a significant amount of leaf litter, twigs, and botanicals as part of the substrate. Number two, allow biofilms and fungal growths to proliferate. Number three, feed your fish as well. It's actually feeding the entire aquarium. Number four, don't go crazy about siphoning every bit of detritus out of your tank. So let's look at these little points in a little bit more detail. Now first, make some liberal use of botanicals and leaf litter in your aquarium. I'd build up a layer anywhere from one inch to four inches or more of leaves. Yeah, I know, that's a lot of leaves. 
Initially, you're going to have a big old layer of leaves recruiting biofilm and fungal growths on their surfaces. And ultimately, it's going to start decomposing, creating a sort of a, a mulch, if you will, on the bottom of your aquarium, which is rich in detritus and which provides an excellent place for your fishes to forage among. Something we've talked about a lot. Allow a fair amount of indirect circulation over the top of your leaf litter bed. This will ensure oxygenation and allow the organisms within the leaf litter bed to receive an influx of water and thus the dissolved organics that they utilize. Sure, some of the leaves might blow around from time to time, which is just like what happens in nature. It's no big deal, really. Now, the idea of allowing biofilms and fungal growths to colonize your leaves and botanicals and to proliferate on them simply needs to be accepted as fundamental to botanical-style aquarium keeping. These organisms, which comprise the biome of our aquariums, remember that word, are the most important components of the ecosystems which our aquariums use or which our aquariums are, excuse me, I don't know why I said use. (laughs) Sometimes I get a little carried away with my thoughts. Anyway, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least touch on the idea of feeding your aquarium, which is something we don't talk about a lot here, right? But think about it. When you feed your fishes, you're effectively feeding all of the other life forms, which comprise the microbiome. You're feeding the aquarium. When fishes consume and eliminate the food, They're releasing not only dissolved organic waste, but fecal materials, which are likely not fully digested, and they're rich in nutritional value. It can't be understated. A lot of organisms, ranging from small crustaceans to worms to bacteria to to just about anything you can think of, consume this material. They they will live within that botanical bed. They'll eat this food directly or indirectly. And the resulting detritus will also assimilate them because you've got detritus which has a layer of microbes on it. Everything's food. Now we can go on and on and on and on and on about this topic. There's so much to discuss. However, let's just agree that feeding our fishes is another critical activity which provides not only for our fish's well-being, but for the other life forms which create the ecology of the aquarium. This is a really important thing. Think of the aquarium as a garden, as a living, breathing being. And let's be clear about another thing. We talked about detritus, and we've talked about detritus millions of times, but let's talk about it one more time. Detritus, which is the nemesis of many aquarists, is not our enemy. I know I've said this probably a hundred times here, but I can't stress it enough. To remove every single bit of detritus in our tanks literally is to deprive someone somewhere along the food chain in our tanks their nutritional source. And when you do that, imbalances occur, right? You know, the kind that cause so-called nuisance algae and you know, those anomalous tank crashes. And and that's really an important concept to grasp. Now, the definition of detritus is accepted in the aquarium hobby is kind of sketchy and it's not very flattering. It's defined as dead particular organic matter, which typically includes the bodies of fragments of dead organisms as well as fecal material. It's typically colonized by communities of microorganisms which act to decompose or remineralize the material. Okay. Still, that's just, shit, it's just bad branding. It doesn't sound good, right? But the reality is it's not a bad thing. Detritus, like biofilms and fungi, is flat out misunderstood in the hobby. It just is. Could there be some upside to this stuff? Of course there is. I mean, even in that definition I just gave you, the part about being colonized by a community of microorganisms which act to decompose or remineralize should tell you something. It's being processed, utilized. What do these microorganisms do? They eat it. They render it inert. And in the process, they contribute to the biological diversity and arguably even the stability of the system. Some of them are utilized by food by other creatures, which is pretty important in a closed ecosystem, I should think. This is really important. 
it's part of the biological operating system of our botanical style aquariums. I can't stress this enough. And of course I do because I'm constantly talking about it. Now I realize that the idea of embracing this stuff and allowing it to accumulate or even be present in your system goes against virtually everything we've been indoctrinated to believe about the aquarium husbandry. Pretty much every article you see on this stuff is about its dangers and how to get out of your tank. I'll say it again. I think we've been looking at detritus the wrong, the wrong way for a really long time in the aquarium hobby, perceiving it as an enemy to be feared as opposed to the biological catalyst that it really is. In essence, it's organically rich particulate material that provides sustenance and indeed life to many organisms which benefit our aquarium ecology. We've pushed this narrative many times here, and I still think we need to encourage hobbyists to embrace it more. It's just not reaching some people. Yeah, detritus. Okay, I mean, I'll admit that detritus as we see it may not be the most attractive thing to look at in our tanks. I'll give you that. It literally looks like a pile of shit. However, what we're talking about when we're talking about allowing this stuff to accumulate, it's not just fish poop and uneaten food. It's broken down materials, the end product of biological processing or initial biological processing. And yeah, a wide variety of organisms have become adapted to eat or utilize detritus. In fact, many of these types of systems that we talk about, agapos, agarape, uh, varzea, and so forth, ecologists classify them as detritus-based ecological systems. That should tell you something. And there is a distinction between, you know, uneaten food and processed stuff. One's the result of poor husbandry. And of course, it's not something that we'd want to accumulate in our aquariums. The other's a more nuanced definition. As we talk about so much around here, just because something looks a certain way doesn't mean that it's always a bad thing, right? Of course not. And that's just something that we in the hobby have to let go of. What does it mean? Take into consideration why we add botanicals to our tanks in the first place. Now, you don't have to have huge piles of the stuff littering your sandy you know, beautiful sandy substrate. However, you could have some accumulating here and there among the botanicals and among the leaves where it won't offend, you know, your aesthetic senses and still contributes to the overall ecosystem that you've created. If you're one of those hobbyists who allows your leaves and other botanicals to break down completely into the tank, what really happens? Do you see this massive decline in water quality in an otherwise well-maintained system? a noticeable uptick in nitrate or some other kind of disturbing signs? Does anybody ever do water tests to confirm that the detritus is dangerous theory? Or do we simply rely on what they say in books and hobby forums? Is there ever a situation, a place, or circumstance where leaving the detritus in play is actually a benefit as opposed to a problem? I think so. Like, almost always. Yeah. I know, we're talking about a closed ecosystem here, which doesn't have all of the millions of minute inputs and exports and nuances that nature does. But structurally and functionally, we have some of them at the highest levels, i.e. water going in and out, food sources being added, stuff being exported, life and death, etc. There's so much more to this stuff than simply to buy in unflinchingly to this overgeneralized statement like detritus is bad. And the following statement I'm going to make may hurt a few sensitive people. And... Sorry, but it happens. Consider this some tough love today. If you're not a complete incompetent at basic aquarium husbandry, you won't have any issues with detritus being present in your aquarium, period. Just don't overstock, don't overfeed, don't neglect regular water changes, don't fail to maintain your equipment, don't ignore what's happening in your tank. 
This is truly not rocket science. It's aquarium keeping 101. And it all comes full circle when we talk about filtration in our aquariums, the idea of filtration. People often ask me, Scott, what filter do you use in a botanical style aquarium? My answer is usually that it just doesn't matter. You can use any type of filter vehicle. The reality is that if allowed to evolve and grow unfettered, the aquarium itself, all of it, becomes the filter. You can embrace this philosophy regardless of the type of filter that you employ. My sumps and integrated filter compartments in my all-in-one tanks that we feature a lot here are essentially empty. That's right, they don't have anything in them. I may occasionally employ a you know, little sachet of activated carbon in some small amounts or throw in some shade sachets if I want a little more color or whatever, but that's about it. The way I see it, these areas in a botanical-style aquarium simply provide more water volume, more gas exchange, a place for bacterial attachment, you know, surface area, and perhaps an area for botanical debris to settle out. Maybe I'll remove that stuff. And the only reason I've removed that from the, from the sump is to prevent them from slowing down the flow rate of my return pumps. Good maintenance practice. But that's about it. A lot of people are initially surprised by this. However, when you look at it in the broader context of botanical-style aquariums as miniature ecosystems, it really all makes sense, doesn't it? The work of these microorganisms and all these other life forms takes place throughout the aquarium, like everywhere in the aquarium. On the glass, on the heater, on the filter, on the sand, everywhere. And I admit there was a time when I was really fanatical about making sure every single bit of detritus and fish poop and all that stuff was out of my tanks about undetectable nitrate, undetectable phosphate. I was especially like that in my earlier days of reef keeping, where it was really thought that cleanliness was just the shit. That's what you had to do. Tanks had to be sterile to the point where you could give birth in them. It was kind of interesting, hyper-husbandry, if you will. And it wasn't until years into my reef keeping work, and especially into my coral propagation work when I co-owned a coral propagation facility here in Los Angeles, that I really began to understand the value of food and what food exactly is, and the role that it plays in aquatic ecosystems as a whole. The idea of scrubbing and removing every trace of what we saw as bad stuff from our grow-out raceways essentially deprived the corals that we were trying to grow and all the supporting organisms that they relied upon of very important natural food sources. We literally fanatically skim and remove everything, only to find out that our corals didn't look all that good. And of course, what we do is we'd compensate because the thought was we got to feed them. So we compensate by feeding them more heavily only to continue to, you know, remove every trace of uneaten food and all this stuff and all the dissolved organics and polish the water and so forth. It was like a vicious cycle, a constant struggle, a metaphorical hamster wheel between keeping things clinically clean and feeding our animals. And I admit we were like super proud of our spotless water. We had this big screen when you walked into our facility that had readouts from the uh, ORP and pH and all the you know parameters that could be measured electronically right front and center for everybody to see how bitching our water was it was really cool and we were you know just super proud of this and it, it begged the question were we interested in creating clean water or growing corals and eventually it got through my thick skull that aquariums and by this by the extension these raceways that we used just like the wild habitats that they represent are not spotless environments and that they depend on multiple inputs of food to feed the biome at all levels. This meant that scrubbing the living shit literally out of our aquariums and our raceways in this case was denying the very biosha which comprised our aquariums their most basic needs. That little unlock, that little idea just changed everything for me. Suddenly it all made sense.
this carried over into the botanical style aquarium keeping concept when I really started playing with it, you know, more seriously. A system that literally relies on the biological material present in the system to facilitate food production, nutrient assimilation, and reproduction of life forms at various trophic levels. This was a big deal. It's changed everything about how I look at aquarium management and the creation of functional closed aquatic ecosystems. It's really put the word natural back into aquarium keeping parlance for me. The idea of creating a multiple tiered ecosystem, which provides a lot of the requirements needed to operate successfully with just a few basic maintenance practices, the passage of time, a lot of patience and careful observation is alluring. And I must admit, it's, you know, adopting a different outlook, accepting a different, um, I don't know, yet very beautiful aesthetic is something that not everybody's comfortable with. But once you make peace with it, once you understand it, it's all about listening to nature instead of the a-hole on Instagram with the flashy gadget-driven tank and all the, you know, fancy quotes from Amano. It's not always fun for some. It's not always fun initially. And it sometimes seems like you're you know, somehow doing things wrong. You start seeing things that are not comfortable, biofilms, fungal growths, spots of algae, whatever. It's about faith. Faith in Mother Nature, who's been doing this stuff for eons, long before anybody came along and came up with ideas on how to, you know, come up with haiku and fancy names for aquariums and all this stuff. It's about understanding how natural ecosystems work. It's about nuance. It's about looking at things differently than what we've been programmed to do in the aquarium hobby for so long. It's about not being afraid to question the reasons why we do things a certain way in the hobby and to seek ways to evolve and change practices for the benefits of our fishes, not just to be a rebellious a-hole. That's not what it's about. It's about growing and learning and sharing. It takes time to grasp this stuff. Sometimes you have to try it multiple times and maybe not be successful and maybe just not like it. And maybe eventually you come around to it. Maybe you don't. However, with like so many things that we talk about around here, it's not revolutionary. It's simply an evolution in thinking about how we conceive, set up, and manage our aquariums. Sure, the aquarium is a filter of sorts, if you want to look at it as such. However, it's so much more. A small, evolving ecosystem relying on natural processes to bring it to life. Wrap your head around that. It might just change everything in the hobby for you like it did for me. Stay open-minded, stay thoughtful, stay bold, stay curious, stay diligent, stay observant, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.